ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between. Welcome to another episode of the Jake Botel Sports Experience. My name is Jake, and I haven't spoken to you guys in a little while in a solo episode. No interview today, just me. Got something I want to rant about. Um, or maybe not rant. Rant might be strong. Um, it's a Saturday morning here. Windy conditions here up in northeast Victoria. Um, wanted to talk about football. Football of the round ball variety. Soccer. Soccer. Um, as it's commonly known, um, I've had an interesting relationship with whether I want to call it soccer or whether I want to call it football. I definitely called it soccer growing up, um, just because in Australia there's rugby, which gets called football. I've never called rugby football. I call rugby rugby, but some people do. Um, you know, you've got football as in Aussie rules, football, so it, it can be a bit fraught sometimes when you're going, oh yeah, I play football. No, not, 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 not AFL. No, not rugby, you know. Um, but yeah, as I've gotten a little bit older, I sometimes do think out of all the footballs, um, that one is perhaps most deserving <laughs> of being called football because they actually use their feet um, for the vast majority of play. Um, so what am I talking about today? Um, I've been bitten by the football bug. So football was my first love. Uh, I watched the 2002 World Cup. Anyone who's listened to this podcast for more than five minutes will know. That's sort of my, um, my villain origin story when it comes to sports addiction. Um, I was never really into sport. I was much more into books, Lord of the Rings, fantasy novels, you know, etc., etc. And then, for one reason or another, I started watching the 2002 Football World Cup and got captivated. Uh, I think it was the first time I'd seen a, a sports person with long hair. And as a Lord of the Rings slash fantasy nerd, I had long hair. And I used to get picked on uh, in small country town here for having long hair. Ironically, I was a boy being picked on for having long hair by a girl who had short hair. So maybe it was a jealousy factor or something. I don't know. But anyway, um, so it was the first time I'd seen a yeah a sports person with long hair and... Um, his name was David Seaman, and he was the goalkeeper for England, the England national side. I ended up supporting England in that World Cup. Sort of fell in love with the chanting of the Barmy Army at, you know, age 12. It was hilarious, you know, the different chants and that sort of thing. And then England, I think, I can't remember if they made the quarterfinals or round of 16 or whatever it was. They qualified out of the groups, and they, they lost in heartbreaking fashion to... Uh, Brazil, uh, Ronaldinho free kick that looped over David Seaman's head. I think England had actually, from memory, I'm pretty sure England went 1-0 up with a Michael Owen goal and then Brazil scored two to win it. 
two to one. And I was devastated, highly devastated, because not only did they lose, but my hero, David Seaman, the long-haired, ponytailed goalkeeper, uh, was made the scapegoat. Made the scapegoat of the loss um, because he was caught off his line on that free kick, and it was very tragic. So I had a lot of firsts in that experience, in that first sporting experience, being captivated by the magic of the World Cup and, you know, you know, I, I guess in some ways David Seaman was probably my first sports hero and watching him play and, and thinking how great he was and then seeing the fallibility of the hero and how quick the media in England and, and around, you know, were quit, so quick to deride him and, as I said, scapegoat him. They, they pin the loss squarely on his shoulders um, as media and fans are wont to do. And so it was a really interesting learning curve in, within my sports experience. Um, I, I continued watching the World Cup even after England went out. I was definitely cheering against Brazil, but they ultimately went on and won. I believe they beat Oliver Kahn and Germany 2-0 in a pretty boring final. But I was more interested in Turkey. Turkey also had a, a long-haired goalkeeper, um, Rustu Rekba or Rekba Rustu, I can't remember um, which way his name was. And uh, yeah, he was a long-haired goalkeeper and he had the, the, the eye black, you know, smudged, I'm pretty sure, on his cheeks. So he had a very distinct look and he was an amazing goalkeeper to watch. And Turkey made this magical run. Uh, Senegal made a magical run that year as well. Uh, South Korea made a magical run so the the third place match um ended up being between turkey and south korea and turkey triumphed 3-2 ilhan scored after i think 11 seconds or 13 seconds i can't remember but it was i'm pretty sure it was the fastest goal in world cup history and so turkey took a lead and it, it was a great game back and forth you know, nothing to lose. No one could progress any further. There was, you know, you weren't about to be knocked out. Yes, there was a medal on the line, but it was really played free and free of the pressure of, of advancement, I suppose. And yeah, Turkey triumphed 3-2. Great, great game. Cemented my love of it. And at the same time, I was doing soccer clinic at age 12 it's the first organised sport I'd ever played. I didn't want to go. My parents had made me, you know, go. And the World Cup ignited that soccer clinic experience for me. And that's what it was called. It wasn't a football clinic because I was in small country Australia. It was, it was um, a soccer clinic. And, <clears throat> you know, so basically you're running around with a bunch of other kids on a Saturday morning learning the ropes of the game and and that sort of thing and um yeah what had been a bit of a drudge before the world cup was suddenly ignited and i was suddenly in love with the sport and that grew from there i ended up supporting arsenal in the premier league because that was where david seaman was the goalkeeper and now ironically he only played one more year for arsenal um they, they fell tragically short of winning the Premier League title, overhauled late in the season by Manchester United. It was a 
from memory, brutal losses, I think, to Bolton Wanderers, Sam Allardyce's Bolton Wanderers and JJ Okocha and a really tragic 3-2 loss to Leeds United and Mark Viduka. I think Harry Kuehl was there at that point in time as well. And, um, I remember watching Arsenal make the FA Cup semi-final that same year and David Seaman pulling off the last great save of his career. Um, probably still the best save I've ever seen. Arsenal leading 1-0, a corner, I believe it was, came in. Ball ricochets around the box. Man gets a header to it and seems destined for the back of the net. David Seaman totally wrong-footed but manages to dive full length and claw the ball back from the line of the goal um, in one of the more physics-defying saves I've ever seen. Um, so even late, late, late into his career, showing that in moments those reflexes that made him one of the world's best were still there and he could still pull it out. I'm so glad he had that moment. Arsenal won that semi-final against Sheffield United 1-0. Went on to win the FA Cup. And I remember staying up. I watched the semi-final at my grandma's place down in Geelong uh, on replay. I'm pretty sure we recorded it on VHS and then watched it the, the, the morning after. Me and my brother in the lounge room and was nervous the whole way. And then I watched the FA Cup finals, the first big sporting event I'd stayed up until late into the night to watch. Um, Sheffield United... Uh, rather, Southampton. Southampton and Arsenal in the FA Cup final. Um, two goalkeepers I really like too. David Seaman and Antony Amy for Southampton. Finnish goalkeeper. Um, went head-to-head and Arsenal, I believe, won it 1-0 on a Robert Pires goal that he poached nicely. Um, not a spectacular final, but I, I stayed up. I think kickoff might have been at 1am or something and... You know, 13-year-old me stayed up uh, at my grandparents' place up here in the country. And I stayed up and watched it in their lounge room. And it was it was magnificent. And it was so nice to see David Seaman cap his career at Arsenal, a career that I really hadn't seen a lot of. Um, but he capped it with a win and getting to lift that FA Cup. And it was just amazing knowing how painful, obviously, that scapegoating had been in the World Cup. So... From there, my love of soccer really blossomed. As I said, it's still hard for me. Like, I'm ingrained to call it soccer, even though ethically, I think it should be called football. Um, it blossomed from there. And, like, we didn't have a lot of television reception out here. And so I would... And, you know, sport... <laughs> In the early 2000s, it's not like I had access to all these streaming services. So I lived out of tele- like mobile phone reception, didn't have internet to try and stream radio online or anything like that. And even if I did have, it would have been limited. Um, couldn't stream matches online, um, even if I'd wanted to, because the internet was too shit. And so my only, there was one game a week on SBS here. Uh, on a Sunday afternoon, so they'd, they'd show the game live, one game, a match of the week, English Premier League, on Saturday night, generally, you know, sometime between midnight and like 3am, that game would kick off, so I, n- I never really stayed up to watch it, because I knew it was replayed the next day, 
it would be replayed at about three o'clock in the afternoon and I'd watch it then and watch the world game and and then Monday night I believe it was Monday night the world game would do the English Premier League hour the highlights show and I would sit down and watch all of that um I'd watch all of that an hour all the highlights of every game and I would also buy on a Monday or a Tuesday whenever I could get to town um, British Football Weekly, which was a newspaper that I could get in my local news agency that was entirely dedicated to football. And it had English Premier League, all divisions, you know, of the English league structure, you know, some non-conference, Scotland, might even have had Ireland. It had European football updates, write-ups, Champions League, everything. All the results and the scorers and and then match write-ups for most of the games, even if it was just a paragraph, you know. Every game would have a little write-up, and it was brilliant, and fuck, I missed that. I Like, everyone says, well, that information's on a website now. Fuck that. I don't want to read it on a website. I want to read it in a newspaper. I want British Football Weekly back. I want to pay my $3 or whatever it was a week um, to read British Football Weekly. It was great. And that's how, I, that's how I fell in love with sport. I don't know if I've spoken about it on this podcast or not, but that's, that's also how I fell in love with writing and why I've always had a strong connection between storytelling and sport was because the way I experienced the first sport I was truly passionate about was reading it. I would occasion, you, know, you would occasionally get to watch whatever was on offer. There was no choice. It was match of the week or it was the highlights show, you know, often both. But that was the only way you could watch it. And you had the newspaper. And so I would read the newspaper and I would read. And so to me, the idea of getting your sports fix through reading without having seen the games, relying on someone else to describe the game to you, is, is, it was quite natural. And I miss that. In a, in a sense, I think we get spoilt for choice sometimes and we're just like, well, I can watch anything, you know, like just this weekend alone, you know, I'll watch XFL, I'll watch biathlon, I'll watch football, I'll watch AFL, I'll watch whatever, like, and I've got access to it all for, you know, for 25 bucks a month. And it is its own bliss at times, but only if you stay grateful for it. Only if you stay intentional about it, because otherwise it just ends up a big glut of fucking distraction and nothingness. It really does. If you just, like, that's something I've struggled with in the past. You know, we're so wired these days to multitask. You know, we'll put a game of football on, you put a game of hurling on, you put a game, and, and 10 minutes in you'll find... You're on your phone, you're checking Instagram or you're checking Twitter or you're messaging someone, you're doing something else and you're doing multiple things. Watch the sport. Maybe if you can't concentrate to watch three or four games in a row, maybe you're not meant to watch three or four games in a row. Maybe you're just meant to watch one. Just watch the one game. I don't know. It's a struggle for me because I, I think we just take for granted. We have this access to everything and in some ways it's beautiful and in some ways it's cheap and everything. But it's cheapened the experience in some ways, um, particularly if you're not intentional about it, and particularly if you don't stay grateful and awake to, to, 
to how amazing that is that you can watch sport from anywhere in the world. Um, and if it just becomes another just background noise in your life and another distraction from thinking, that's not good. So, you know, bask in it. You know, make sure you really key in when you watch or don't watch. That's another option too. Point of this episode though is that I drifted out of love with um, the sport for a long time. Um, I saw Arsenal go undefeated 2003-2004, the single most dominant league season I've seen from any team. 38 games, um, 26 wins, 12 draws, I think it was, off the top of my head. Um, Head and shoulders clear of anyone from the chasing pack. Thierry Henry, incredible. I mean, the names, Ashley Cole, Colo Torre, Patrick Vieira, Robert Pires, Edu, Freddie Jundberg, Gilberto Silva, Robert Pires, Thierry Henry. Um, who else was in that team? Sol Campbell, Martin Keown, Ray Parler, Jens Lehmann, the goalkeeper, um, Dennis Bergkamp. The, the list is long and I remember most of them. And they were an incredible team, the Invincibles. First team since Preston North End in however many years to go through a league season undefeated. And they were remarkable, a remarkable team. And look, they never quite recaptured that. But that to me was the peak. That was the pinnacle. Arsene Wenger had always spoken about, I think we could go in a season undefeated. And lo and behold, they did. And it was like, Arsenal were never quite able to secure that same dynastic longevity that Manchester United did, that Manchester City have gone on to do. But though that one season, in my opinion, my subjective opinion, that one season was, was better than any Premier League season that, that I've ever watched anyone else do. And, and that's subjective. It's obviously subjective as an Arsenal fan, but... But that's what I value in sports, the artistry and the magic. That's what I value. It's why the Geelong Football Club song, we play the game as it should be played. Um, Arsenal played football as it should be played in 03 and 04. And yes, they couldn't maintain it. It was, it was, it was unmaintainable. You couldn't play at that, that level for, for season on season. And ultimately, you know, they got close a couple of other times, but... Um, this year looks like it's kind of hard to believe that that was the last time they won the league was 03-04. I fell out of love with the sport, I suppose, when Arsenal moved out of Highbury, their old stadium, which I think was about a 38,000-seater, and they moved into a modern one at the Emirates. And something went with it. Henri went, and then Highbury went, and the magic went out of it for me. It just was, it was never the same. They never recaptured that, that same spark for me um, in the new building. That new team never recaptured the spark of, of, of that team. Money with Roman Abramovich and Chelsea, and then at every other club, you know, then Stan Kroenke buying Arsenal, and... 
money and you know millionaires or billionaires and their billions sort of well and truly entered the game. I still remember um, the Glazers buying Manchester United as being a really big deal and feeling like things were changing. And then Abramovich at Chelsea and you started to think, oh man, that was the first time in my sporting experience that I'd really seen money begin to get its hooks into, yeah, the beautiful game and into into the sport. And yeah, that that was the, the start of that process of falling out of love. Um, and, you know, I've watched intermittently you know if there's football on I've, I've watched on occasion um I played you know for a while after I fell out of love with watching it um and then maybe two years ago during the pandemic uh I would always watch the world cup I'll say that until this year this was the first world cup I didn't watch I didn't watch one kick of the world cup in Qatar, um, yes, for moral and ethical reasons, I just think it's a joke that they played it there, personally, you're allowed your own opinion, I think it was a, a hideous decision, but it really, you know, it just, it, it really did just demonstrate everything that FIFA seems to be about, it is money, 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 above all else. And especially in those top leagues, you know, it was just like any time I felt like I was about to drift back into football, you know, I'd sort of go, maybe I'll watch Arsenal again, or maybe, you know, maybe I'll watch a bit of the Premier League. I'd be reminded of why I stopped. You know, there'd be the story about, you know, Arsenal and Chelsea and United and City and Liverpool trying to leave the Premier League to, you know, to, to break away to, to form the European Super League. You know, and, and then, like, you just get these little things of, like, oh, yeah, domestic football doesn't fucking matter to these teams anymore. Except for the fact that it's a platform to get to Europe, into the Champions League. You know, there's a great discussion on Oh When the Town, the Luton Town podcast I listened to. Um, on the way home from work, I was, I've been listening to some older episodes because I didn't get to keep up with it this season. Um, or at least not from the start, and they were talking about, you know, does the FA Cup still matter and, and that sort of thing, and should replays be banned? And it was, a, it was a great conversation, good bit of good bit of banter and that sort of thing. But, you know, something that's evident is that the big Premier League clubs would love to abolish replays, and a lot of, you know, for a lot of them, the FA Cup isn't a priority, despite the fact that they always fucking win it the last little while. Um... The Premier League allows them access to the Champions League. The FA Cup, what does that allow them? Extra games, you know, in their players and, you know, the, I guess the notoriety of the FA Cup itself. But that does get eroded for the big teams because it, 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 it's not offering them a chance of advancement into more global markets via the Champions League, etc., etc., etc. Anyway... Long story short, I was always nearly drawn back in, only to be drawn back out. And that was until probably, yeah, 18 months ago or something when I put on some football and I watched um, Luton Town play Bournemouth 
in the championship. And Luton Town won in the 97th minute. Um, Cal Naismith, a winner against, I think, Bournemouth, who were leading the league at the time, won 3-2. Kenilworth Road erupted, and it sent all those same shivers up my spine and goosebumps across my skin that, that it used to, the magic of football when it, when it, when it rears its head, when it transports you to that other world that other place where time is suspended and you're just in that moment, that glorious moment of football storytelling when there's poetry being woven. And that was, and, and, and then I started to become hooked again, you know. But having said that, what's allowed me to, to sort of come back in is not watching the Premier League. I've, I've watched Championship. That's the games I watch, I've, I've watched... And, you know, I watched for a bit and then I, I, I got drawn back, you know, I was following the NFL, um, I was following, uh, you know, the hurling or whatever and, and so I sort of didn't have time. But just the last week I've really been bitten by the bugs strongly again. I watched Luton Town and Millwall play out a 2-2 draw, brilliant goal to tie it late for, for Luton Town after they'd gone 2-0 down. Came back to tie it up 2-2. And yeah, I've watched about five or six games this weekend. Or this week slash weekend. Uh, woke up this morning and watched Hull and West Brom. Uh, which is a good game. But I've, I've, watched, I've watched a shitload of others. And they've all been really entertaining. Um, but the key is I'm not watching Premier League. And it's been fantastic, you know, to feel like I don't have to. I don't have to watch Premier League to watch football and just the fact of that is, is, is massive and the fact that Luton Town aren't owned by you know massive foreign investment and that sort of thing that the, there's still this such a strong fan connection and, and a sense of ownership for the fans of their team is, is just special and yeah I've really been bitten again I've really been bitten by the football bug again and I definitely love to get playing again socially. The problem with playing in social groups is that inevitably, inevitably it leads to somebody, whether that's me or someone else, you know, trying to formalise it. There seems to be this inherent push from people um, to formalise, you know, oh, we've got to get payments, you know, insurance and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I just, I just want to, I just want to be involved in a group that can get together in a park and have a kick. It can be impromptu and whoever wants to play can play and we don't have to fear the, the God, I could do a whole episode about the insurance culture of everything, but you know, it rears its head in sport too, you know, like Jesus, maybe we can all just be a bit responsible and not two foot slide tackle and accept that, Hey, I might ping my hamstring in my 30s running around trying to play soccer and I'll just accept the risk, you know, like, Jesus. Uh, but it was the first time, I'll admit, this week that I've ever considered going back to organised football as well. Going, maybe it would be nice to play in a team again, you know? Maybe it would be nice to go to training a couple of nights a week and, and play on a Sunday and feel like you're involved in, in a club again. I don't know. 
I, I'm both drawn to and repulsed <laughs> by, by the organized sporting experience. Um, it's such a, it's such a double-edged sword, it's such a healthy thing. And in, and then in some ways it can be such a toxic thing as well. So, but yeah, I've just been bitten by the bug again. And I want to watch football. I want to read football. I wish British Football Weekly still exists, still existed. But sadly, it's, um, yeah, a long time ago, I believe, went out of print. Um, and it's just not the same for me, reading it on a website. It's just not the same. I'll listen to a podcast instead, maybe. But there was something about a football-only newspaper that was just magic. Just magic. And you could sit there and work through it, you know, across a, across a day. You know, you could read a bit in the morning. You could read a bit with lunch. You could read a bit in the evening. You know, same again the next day. And, you know, across a couple of days, you'd get through all the results and you'd be caught up. Ah, um, oh, magic. Magic memories. Um, but, yeah, well and truly bitten. Well and truly bitten by the bug. Uh, There's a good game on tonight. I think it's Blackburn and Sheffield United. I'll probably watch it tomorrow morning. If I'm honest, I probably won't stay up till midnight to watch it tonight. Um, and then there's another game on tomorrow, which will probably be a flogging because it's Burnley and Blackpool and it's opposite ends of the table. But I'll watch both of them. I'll watch both of them, whether it's on demand or not. Um, but it could be a big sporting weekend. I've got an invitation from my mate Johnny to watch the opening of the F1 season. Um, which starts at 2 a.m. on Monday morning here. And, you know, then we're going, well, at 5 a.m., the XFL has its first game, uh, you know, of, of the Sunday slate. So maybe we could, you know, get some sleep early, then hit 2 a.m., then 5 a.m. and watch the XFL. And, oh, I don't know. Sometimes I'm at that point where I don't know if that's my thing anymore, those late night those all-nighters, but then what is life for if you're not living it, you know? It's an interesting one. Isn't it an interesting one when you become, you know, truly an adult? <laughs> you know, you think you're an adult in your early 20s and stuff and you're really not, and then you're in your, you start to get into your 30s and then you're like, oh, yeah, I feel more like an adult now. And just those decisions that you make. There wouldn't have been any question at age 18 for me. The invitation to watch sport from 2am through to the early hours of the morning, fuck yeah, I'm in. Now it's like, I know how shit I'm going to feel for the next three days after that. <laughs> uh, but, may, you know, but then I also go, maybe it's a mindset. Maybe it's a mindset thing. You know, go in at positive, life is for the living. Do it and see what happens. It's quite tempting anyway. So I'm going to... Keen to watch that. I've enjoyed the XFL. I haven't spoken to you guys in ages, really, if I think. But I've really enjoyed the XFL experience. It's everything, really. If, if I'm going to watch American football, um, it's it's everything that I would like out of it. It's the opposite to the NFL in that the football is of a slightly, um, you know, lesser standard, a lesser quality. It's a bit sloppier. And in fairness, it's only two weeks in. Um. The attendance has obviously not been brilliant, but as far as the broadcast and the, the transparency of officiating, um, the, the access to the 
players on broadcast. Like it's fun to watch. It's actually fun to sit down and watch the XFL. Uh, watching the NFL at the end of last season, you know, by the second half of last year, felt like a, a, a fucking chore, if I'm honest. And that's why I've been detoxing from it outside of listening to the Around the NFL podcast, just because I've been listening to those lads for like ever, forever. <laughs> wow, since 2017, so about six years. Um, so they're, they're, I've been listening to them, but that's it. I'm not, I'm not keeping up with the combine. I have no intention of watching the draft. I have no intention of pouring over, you know, scout trade and, you know, free agency maneuverings and think pieces. I'll listen to around the NFL. And, yeah, I'll see how I go when the season rocks around, how much I want to watch. Do I want to watch a bunch of it? Or do I just want to watch a game a week? Do I want to watch it at all? There's, there's, you know, I talked earlier in this episode about the corruption issues of money in the, in the Premier League. You know, it's the same thing. I'm just, I just find myself perpetually grossed out by the NFL. You know, it's, 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 it's quite... In my opinion, it's horrific, the amount of money that's spent. It's grotesque. And it's only gonna it's it's only going up. It's only getting more grotesque. You know? And just so much more disconnected every year from from fans and the fan experience and communities that the teams are in and I um so yeah look the XFL it's 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 quite imperfect. Um, there's some hideous uniforms. Everyone who's listened to this podcast knows I'm a uniform snob. Seattle Drag, Sea Dragons. Uh, that was going to be my team. But honestly, I cannot watch that uniform. I saw. Absolute eyesore, that uniform, in my opinion. So, yeah, I couldn't watch it. Not even to do with the fact that they've got two losses. I, that team could be 2-0 and oh and I'd be, I'd be struggling. So, I, I flipped. I flipped to the San Antonio Brahmas. Heinz Ward connection. I actually like their uniforms. Um, so that's who I'm supporting. I'm supporting the Brahmas and I reserve the right to to go with a team that I actually like to watch. Um, the XFL is entertaining. It's entertaining. And, you know, sometimes through its football too. <laughs> there have been a lot of close games, so it's been good. Um, also been watching Biathlon. I watched Oberhof, uh, the World Championship. In Oberhof, Johannes Thignes Berth is amazing. Cannot believe that I've lucked into following this sport at the exact time that this guy's career is sort of like reaching the final years of its of its arc, and he's just he's just a freak. He's just an absolute monster of a competitor, and so inspiring to watch him race. Um, whether it's his shooting or his skiing, he's he's just incredible. He's just a, he's an absolute legend absolute legend and I've only been following the sport a month and it's just clear he he's he's mythic um so yeah watched Oberhof I think he won five five golds five golds six golds um and was just incredible his 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 sprint into pursuit into men's individual performances was just like three back-to-back performances of like dominance just dominance. I think it was in the, um, I can't remember if it was in the sprint or the, or the individual where, you know, he missed multiple shots and still won comfortably. He lapped, uh, I believe it was in the, in the uh, individual, um, 
lapped Quinton Fion Maillet, one of his closest rivals, you know, and given that all the competitors start separately, you know, not it's not always the case in biathlon that everyone starts at the same time. You know, often they're released at, you know, 10 or 30 second intervals or whatever it might be. And, and yeah, by the end of it, even despite missing shots, he lapped his closest rival and, um, you know, he passed his closest rival rather. And, um, yeah, he he was just on another level in Oberhof. So I'm looking forward to watching this weekend's events in the Czech Republic. Um, I'll probably go and do that this morning, actually. I've got, uh, I've got the men's sprint saved up from... 24 hours ago I think the women's sprint was last night um, maybe the men's pursuit as well so yeah this, this weekend's going to be football with the championship it's going to be XFL um, and it's, it might be F1s with Johnny and it'll definitely be biathlon uh, thankfully the hurling's on a break this week because otherwise I don't know how I'd fit it all in alright guys I'd intended to speak for about 15 minutes and I've spoken for the best part of 40 so Really good to be back in your ears. I hope you're enjoying having Jack's show markers up uh, on in the podcast feed here. He's doing great work with the AFL content, so make sure you go and have a listen to markers up. Um, yeah, great episode a couple of days ago uh, talking about his experience down in Ballarat watching the, the Bulldogs um, intra-club practice match and thoughts on some of the other practice matches from the weekend and about stadiums and and what makes a good stadium atmosphere and such it was yeah really good stuff so make sure you go and not only listen to uh, markers up but go give it a follow as well on twitter and and such and subscribe on youtube Uh, that'd be much appreciated all right guys until next time be well